The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23. I'm Jim Jeffrey, one of the pastors here at Chapel Point, and Psalm 23, one of the favorite passages of people know any part of the Bible, they'll tend to have heard Psalm 23 at some point. And there's a reason why it means so much to us. It speaks of the shepherd, God's um, care for us and his comfort to us. It, it speaks about his restoring our soul and his guiding our lives, his, his provision for us, and all that the shepherd does for us. And in John chapter 10, Jesus picks up that metaphor and speaks to us about being his sheep and, and he, him being our shepherd. Matter of fact, 23 times in John chapter 10, a reference to sheep and the shepherds are, are there. One of the things that we need to know about sheep, sheep are dependent upon the care of the shepherd. And think about it, skunks have a way of protecting themselves, don't they? Porcupines can protect themselves. Cats and dogs and deer and elephants and lions and bears, they can all protect themselves. But sheep have no natural defense. They're totally and completely dependent upon the care of the shepherd. And when we look at this passage, we don't just see the idyllic, beautiful picture of a shepherd and sheep. There's actually a tension in this chapter that uh, continues on from what we've been seeing. In this chapter, Jesus is going to talk about the thief and thieves. He's going to talk about robbers and strangers and wolves and hirelings. And there is danger. There's tension in this chapter. And, and we see the continuation of the conflict that Jesus had beginning in chapter 5 with the high priest and the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes. And this tension continues as they speak of Jesus as a demon-possessed man or as a madman or as a blasphemer. And in this chapter, they again take up stones to kill him and they try to capture him. So you need to know that in this chapter, that well, on the one hand, there's great comfort to us. There's also the reality that there's two sides to the fence. On the one side of the fence, you have those that are rejecting Jesus. And on the other side of the fence, you have those that are trusting in Jesus and believing in him. We have similar tensions in our world today, don't we? Nothing new under the sun, same kind of a thing. In this chapter, there's two major movements Verse 21 is the end of the first one. Verse 22 is the beginning of the second one. And the movements are kind of time-stamped with the reality of the, the Feast of Tabernacles that goes back to chapter 7. And then the, the feast that is uh, really the, the Feast of Hanukkah, uh, or Hanukkah as it's called, which is basically still going on today. Interesting thing, if you go back in the Old Testament to Leviticus 23, where we have the list of all the feasts of Israel, you don't find Hanukkah. The reason is that happened because of something that took place in between the Testaments. About 167 uh, BC, 
one of the one of the prophecies of Daniel was fulfilled with a with a Greek leader called Antiochus Epiphanes who comes to Jerusalem and he sets up a pagan idol in the temple and he kills a pig and sacrifices it not exactly kosher okay and so he does that and then there's a revolution by the the Maccabees the Jewish group and they then take back the temple they cleanse the temple they restore the worship of God in the temple and so from that point on in 164 BC we have the the feast of Hanukkah the feast of lights and of course Jesus is the light of the world in this chapter also within each of those sections you have two different movements and just to simplify it you have Jesus teaching and a response Jesus teaching and a response. Four different movements. And it's like this fence. Jesus is teaching, and some people respond one way, some people respond another way. And that's the reality of what's happening. Four different acts that happen. Here's something I want you to, to focus, though, today. The voice of the shepherd. In every section of this chapter, Jesus talks about his voice. And the difference between those that are his sheep and not his sheep is how we respond to his voice. And I want to just declare something to all of us and remind my heart and remind you today. The shepherd still speaks. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. Day unto day utters speech. In other words, God still speaks through creation about the reality of who he is. God still speaks through Scripture as the Holy Spirit takes that and, and, and speaks to us. It is the voice of the shepherd. God still speaks. The question is, are we listening to his voice? Are we responding to his voice? Because we, we say around here at Chapel Point, when God speaks, it demands a what? A response for every one of us. And this morning, every one of us will respond in one way or the other to the voice of the shepherd. Either responding in faith and, and trusting him as our shepherd, following him as our shepherd, or saying, no, I'm going to go my own way, do my own thing. I reject his claims and reject who, is he, who he is. Which side of the fence are you going to be on? It's interesting, this narrative, actually, if you look at the beginning of chapter 10, you don't have this break between chapter 9 and chapter 10. It kind of continues on. Because in chapter 9, as Pastor Joel preached about that chapter, we have the blind man who wound up seeing, and he came to faith in Jesus and began to believe in him. And then you have the blind leaders who rejected Jesus. So the, the blind man becomes one of Jesus' sheep. The blind leaders are on this side of the fence. They are not one of his sheep. And so you have that tension going on in chapter 9. It continues over now into chapter 10. So... How are you responding to the shepherd's voice? Because the shepherd wants to speak to you today. He wants to speak to your heart, to your life. He wants to speak into your life. And friends, I want to tell you one of the greatest experiences in my life. 57 years ago, last summer, I came to know Jesus as my shepherd. 57 years ago. And all I can tell you is the best adventure of my life has been knowing him and following him and trusting him. And I just want to say to you, friends, if you don't know the shepherd, I hope by the end of this message, you will begin to say, I, I want that relationship to be my relationship. Because Jesus is going to speak, and it's his voice we're hearing. So I hope you don't just hear my voice today. I hope you hear his voice through the scriptures. So jump in with me to John chapter 10. As Jesus affirms, truly, truly, I say to you, that he who does not enter the sheepfold, 
by the door or climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He's going to mention them several times. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them. The sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. They know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They will flee from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. So Jesus is teaching. He's teaching about the sheepfold. He's teaching about the shepherd, how when a shepherd calls out his own, they recognize the voice of the shepherd. They follow him. But when a stranger calls, they don't follow him. Why? They don't recognize the voice. Now look at the response. He is speaking about safety. He's warning about the thieves and robbers. He's going to talk a little bit later about the thief and thieves. He mentions down in verse 9, all that came before me are thieves and robbers. Those are false prophets and false messiahs. Later, he says, the thief, verse 10. And I believe that's a reference to Satan because Jesus is just like he did earlier when he said Satan is a liar and so those who are liars are following him. He is a murderer and you're trying to murder me. So those false prophets and false messiahs are simply representing Satan and his kingdom. He said he is the thief who comes to kill, to destroy. And then he talks about the wolves and he talks about the hirelings. The wolves are those like false prophets. The, the hirelings are those who are simply in it for the money. And he's kind of confronting by using that terminology those who are supposed to be shepherds of the people of God, the Jewish leaders. You see, in the Old Testament, if you go back to Jeremiah 23, if you go to Ezekiel 34 and many other passages in the Old Testament, God refers to spiritual leaders as shepherds. And there were good shepherds and there were bad shepherds. There were those who were faithful to God and represented his shepherding well and those who didn't. And Jesus is warning here. He's talking about the safety that he wants to bring. Look at verse 6. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying. So in other words, there's a group of people, they hear Jesus teaching, but they're on this side of the fence. They don't understand what he's saying. Why? Friends, you can't understand the Bible without the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. The divine author of the Bible is the one who teaches us the Word of God. And until a person opens their soul up to, to the shepherd, you can't recognize his voice. So, so people will read the Bible and say, I can't make head or tail of it. They can read other books and understand it, but the, the, the scripture, to hear the voice of the shepherd, you need the Holy Spirit to be able to be your teacher. So the shepherd... Some of them just didn't understand his words. I want you also to see, and starting in verse 7, the shepherd's voice speaks about sacrifice. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. This is another one of those I am statements of Jesus. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep didn't listen to them. They didn't hear his voice. I am the door, he says a second time. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Now, just pause for a minute. I was told in English when I was uh, in school, as in, uh, in, in uh, senior high school, you don't mix metaphors. But in the Bible, they do it all the time. Jesus did it all the time. So you got two metaphors here. I am the door and I am the good shepherd. And he's putting the two together. 
Well, in a sense, he's not really totally mixing metaphors because he's talking about the sheepfold. And there were two different kinds of sheepfolds that are, that are used and some still used in Israel today. A sheepfold was a, a, usually had a wall up to about four feet high because sheep couldn't jump over that. And, and it had no roof, it had no windows, but would either have a gate or an opening where the sheep could be brought in. Some of those sheepfolds were large enough that a number of flocks could be brought into there uh, with other shepherds caring for them. And some were small enough that maybe just one shepherd would use it. If there wasn't a gate, the shepherd would lay, his, lay himself down there and would actually sleep or sit there, and that's where he would be there to protect the sheep from thieves or from wolves or from other predators. And Jesus is going to refer to that. He's going to talk about laying down his life for the sheep. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. And he says, by me, if anyone enters, he will be saved. He'll be rescued. He'll find pasture. Then he says, the thief, Satan, is come only to steal, to kill, and destroy. Friends, I want you to know that in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 3, Satan shows up and begins to try to convince Adam and Eve that God was trying to cheat them. God is trying to cheat you from life. He knows that the day that you eat, you're going to be as God. The translation of that is God's trying to cheat you. And if Satan can convince us that God is trying to cheat us from life, then people will bite the bait of temptation every time. But if you become convinced that he is a thief and he's a murderer and a liar, and you, then you'll say, I'm not going to believe him. I'm going to believe the shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. And he says here, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Life to the full, life to the max. Like David saying, my cup runs over. Having life that is full. And I just want to tell you that following the shepherd has been the best part of life for me. It's the best part of life. And, and, and if you know the shepherd, wouldn't you agree with that? that? That life more abundant, that doesn't mean life with no conflict, doesn't mean life with no problems, doesn't mean life with no suffering, but it means life that is fulfilling and meaningful because you know the shepherd. And he gives life that is more abundant. How does he do that? How does the shepherd give that kind of life? He said that in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. His laying down the life is looking forward to the cross. He who is a hired hand is not a shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming. He leaves the sheep because, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. He doesn't care about the sheep. He is simply in it for the money. And Jesus is basically saying that about some of the priests and those that are leading. He again says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. I have a relationship with them, and they, my own, know me. As the Father knows me and has a relationship with me, and I know the Father and have a relationship with him. I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, for there'll be one flock and one shepherd. Now, let me explain to you what verse 16 is saying. Do we have anyone here that has, uh, has a Jewish background and you came to Jesus Christ from a Jewish background? Just I'm curious. Not a single hand. You know what that means? Every one of us are Gentiles. And that, this verse is about you. Verse 16 is saying, other sheep I have that are not of this fold, meaning the Jewish nation, Israel. And I must also bring them. That's the book of Acts. That's the Great Commission. That's the gospel going to us. 
Friends, you're in this passage. Verse 16, you're in this passage. I'm in this passage. What a wonderful thing that Jesus cared about you and cared about me and laid down his life for us. He said, this reason the Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. That's death and resurrection. Nobody takes it from me. I'm not being murdered or martyred, but I am sacrificing myself. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it back up in resurrection. And this charge I have from the Father. Friend, that's why when, when they tried to stone Jesus and tried to capture Jesus, they couldn't. Because he was going to voluntarily lay down his life as a sacrifice for our sin. There's no other way that we could have a relationship with him. Do you understand that it's only through the sacrifice of the shepherd that you can become his sheep? The only way to take care of the sin problem that separated me from God, a holy, just, righteous God, and the gap that spanned between his holiness and my sin. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he paid the full price for my sin so I could be forgiven and reconciled to God and redeemed from the slavery of my sin. I could be set free. He laid down his life for the sheep. That's how we become a sheep. That's how we move from this side of the fence to this side, saying, I'm trusting in him. I believe that he died for me to pay the price for my sin. I'm going to commit my faith to him to be my shepherd. But look what happens. Look at the response. There's a division among the Jews because of these words. Some said he has a demon and he is insane. He's a madman. He's crazy. Why listen to him? In other words, why hear his voice? And others said, these are not the words, these are it's not the voice of one who was oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Referring back to John chapter 9. So here you got it, friends. You got people on this side of the fence, and they're saying, Jesus is demon-possessed, he's crazy, he, he's, um, he's a, a madman. Later, they're going to say he's a blasphemer. And on this side of the fence are those who are saying, no, it doesn't make any sense. These aren't the words of a demon-possessed man, not the words of a madman. Who can, who can make a blind person see? You see, the Jewish leaders recognized they, could not, they couldn't say that Jesus didn't do these miracles. They couldn't deny it. So you either have to believe that he did that in the power of God or he did that in the power of Satan. And they came down on that side of the fence and says, He's demon-possessed. And others said, no, we're not buying that. We're not believing that. Respond, responding to the shepherd's voice of sacrifice. You get into chapter, um, chapter 10, verse 22. The Feast of Dedication is taking place. It's winter, by the way, whether you like it or not, it's coming. Jesus is walking in the temple in the colonnade of, of, of Solomon, this beautiful open area, a covered a portico that was there. And they're gathered around him, and they said to him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, if you're the promised one, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, he said, I've already told you, but you don't believe. The works, the miracles that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness about me. Jesus has said this repeatedly from chapter 5 on. But you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. You do not believe you do not believe, you don't have faith, and therefore you are not one of my sheep. Friends, believing in Jesus is how we become one of his sheep. 
He says, my sheep hear my voice. They hear my voice and I know them. I have a relationship with them. And they don't just hear my voice, they follow me. They obey me. They follow my leadership in their life. And I give them eternal life. Eternal life is not life when you end, when you die. Eternal life is life in relationship with God, where spiritual death, the opposite, is life separated from God. He's saying, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, meaning they will never perish in the lake of fire, and no one can pluck them out of my hand. And then he says in verse 29, the Father, the Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So Jesus says, listen, I am promising that my sheep, those who are my sheep, they have security in me. They have security in me because I have promised them eternal life. I have promised them that no one can snatch them out of my hand. I promise them that they will not in any way perish. He says, not only are they in my hand, but my father also wraps his powerful hands around them and no one can separate them. But I want you to notice something. In this wonderful passage of security, there is also evidence of a transformed life, or we call that perseverance. In the verse before, he says, my sheep, those who do believe me, he said, listen, they have faith in me, they trust me, and he said, these that are my sheep, those that have really trusted me, they hear my voice. They hear my voice, they hear me speaking to them. And, and I believe today he does that primarily as the Spirit takes the word and applies it or shows us in creation his glory, he's speaking. They hear my voice, and he said, listen, and, and they, I know them. I have a relationship with them, and that relationship is real. And they follow me. Friend, is that true of you? Do you hear his voice? Do you follow him? Do you have a relationship with them? Uh, there are people who believe, I just prayed a prayer once or made a decision once, but there's been no transformation of my life. My friends, I'm not sure that puts you on this side of the fence according to the scripture. Because God always puts together the promise of eternal security with the evidence of a true transform, transformed life. And that's what we have here. So we got here in this passage. So don't claim the one, friends, if you don't have the other. Don't claim the one if you don't have the other. Jesus, in his statement, says, I and my Father are one. And look at the reaction. Now you have the, the response. The Jews picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus asked them, I've shown you many good works, many miracles from the Father. Which of the, for which of those are you going to stone me? And Jesus answered, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, but because you being a man, make yourself God. In other words, these Jewish leaders understood exactly what Jesus was claiming. Jesus was claiming equality with the Father. He was claiming to be God. They understood they understood what he was saying. Friends, don't, don't think that Jesus is not making a claim to full deity, equality with the Father, oneness with the Father. He's saying, I and the Father are one. But they're going to make a decision on which side of this fence are we going to be. Are we going to believe him that he is the Son of God? Or are we going to reject him? And they choose to reject him and they take up stones to throw at him and to kill him. And friends, in our lives, we have to make a determination. Is Jesus who he claimed to be or is he not? 
That's not just an intellectual battle for us. That is a issue of the heart. And you can't know him as a shepherd until you understand he's the son of God. He's the savior. He is the creator. He is the Messiah. And so they, they attempted to stone him for blasphemy. So Jesus then does, gives his final teaching in this passage. He answers them, isn't it written in your law? I said that you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, then do you say to him who the Father consecrated and sent into the world you are blaspheming because I claim to be the Son of God? If I'm not doing the works of the Father, the miracles I'm doing, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you might know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. He's claiming oneness with the Father. Now this passage is one of the most more complex ones in John's Gospel. Because Jesus says something here that if it's misunderstood can lead you to confusion. For instance, he said, isn't it written in your law, I say that you're gods. And if you call them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken. The Mormon cult, false religion, uses this passage to say that all human beings are gods, little gods. The problem with that is Jesus is quoting here from Scripture. And so we have to understand we need to respond to the shepherd's voice through Scripture. What Scripture is he quoting? Psalm 82. We don't have time to go back there and study, but I'd encourage you to read it later today. Psalm 82. In that Psalm, it begins with God's claim to total authority as God and ends with his claim as judge of all the nations to total authority. And in the passage, he refers to those, he's referring to them as kind of as little g gods, as those who are his image bearers and those that are to represent his authority in judgment. And God is calling them and confronting with them that they are not representing him rightly. They're not representing his justice, his care for the poor, his care for widows, the injustice that they are doing. And he's confronting them. And then he later says, you're going to die like men doesn't sound to me like this is a claim to deity of humanity. But rather, they had delegated authority from the true and living God, who's the ultimate judge, and they had totally failed to that. So don't take this passage and say, see, we're all gods. Friends, no, you totally confuse the issue. We are image bearers of God who are given responsibility, particularly for those who are given spiritual authority and responsibility. And Jesus is, in a sense, in your face confronting the leaders of the Jews who were judging him wrongly. He's actually using what they knew. They knew Psalm 82. And believe me, no Jewish leader believed that Psalm 82 is referring to the deity of humanity. But rather, that Jesus as God is now confronting them with their lack of representing the God that they claim to believe in well. It's a really challenging thing to see how Jesus uses Psalm 82 and confronts them. Look what happens. Jesus said, you don't believe me, even though you don't believe me. So in other words, you have the scriptures, but you don't believe me. Friends, you can have a Bible and not necessarily listen to the voice of the shepherd. That's what's happening here. They had the scriptures, they had the Bible, but they weren't believing the shepherd. They weren't responding to the shepherd. So in the scriptures, are we hearing the voice of the, of the, of the shepherd? And again, in verse 39, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped out of their hands. Why? Because Jesus was on will of God central time. And it wasn't the will of God for him to be captured and to be crucified. 
So he went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John has said about this man is true. And many believed in him there. You know, we have a saying about trying to ride the fence. It's really uncomfortable to try to sit on a fence. I've tried it. It doesn't work. You can't ride the fence on this issue, friends. You're on one side of the fence or you're on the other side of the fence. And in this chapter, you have people who are on one side of the fence. They reject Jesus. They call him demon-possessed. They call him a blasphemer. They're trying to capture and kill him. And you have people on the other side of the fence that are saying, no, we believe him. Matter of fact, at the very end of the chapter, you have that. Many believed in him there. Where are you, friends? There is no middle ground. Where are you? How are you responding to the shepherd's voice? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is your shepherd? Do you believe that he laid down his life on the cross for you and had authority to take it back up again in his resurrection? Do you believe in Jesus as the Messiah? Is Christ today the shepherd of your life? Friends, if you are trying to be the shepherd of your own life, if you're trying to be the one in charge out in front, you're going to fail at that miserably. Why? Because you're not smart enough, you're not in control enough, you're not powerful enough, you don't have what it takes to lead your own life. But Jesus does. He's the good shepherd. Are you listening every day for his voice? Friends, he's speaking. Are you listening? Your shepherd wants to talk to you every day. Are you tuned in to the right frequency spiritually? Are you spending time with him in prayer and in the word? Are you listening for his voice? In what way do you need to hear his voice today? Maybe for you, you need to hear his voice of just safety. Some of you, you may need to hear his voice of sacrifice. Saying, I need to put my faith in what Jesus did on the cross. Or for you, that, that fresh reminder of forgiveness of sins being found in him. You may need to, to hear his voice of security and know that because he's transforming your life that he promises to you eternal life, that you won't perish, that no one can pluck you out of his hand or the Father's hand. And friends, in the midst of a crazy world, it's good to find security in Jesus, isn't it? And to hear the voice of the shepherd speaking to you from the scriptures, saying, I hear his voice. When I read my Bible, I hear his voice. He speaks. Somebody um, sent me a little YouTube video clip. It was a shepherd out in a, out in a field, a, a pasture, and it was fog all over the place. You could see the shepherd, but you couldn't see anything else. And the shepherd cups his hands, and he starts to make the distinctive call he had for sheep. And he calls it out loudly. And you don't see any sheep. And he keeps on calling and calling and calling. And all of a sudden, you can start to hear some hooves off in the distance. You can't see them. The fog's there. And you start hearing, bah, bah, bah. And all of a sudden, through the fog, you start seeing some white and black sheep coming. And they're running. And more and more are coming. But the shepherd keeps calling. He keeps calling out to the sheep. And they, they're following him. And pretty soon... The shepherd is surrounded by his sheep and he keeps on calling. Friends, listen. 
shepherd's calling for some of you. Some of you that have never trusted him. Some of you that are trying to be your own shepherd. And it's not working for you. You're not able to be your own shepherd. Are you listening for the voice of the shepherd? Are you responding to the voice of the shepherd today? Is your daily experience to hear his voice and to follow him? Father, may the Holy Spirit of God help us to hear the voice of the shepherd through the word. May those who have never trusted in the shepherd get off the fence. May they believe that you laid down your life for sinners like us because there was no other way. And you took it back up again in resurrection. That the only place to find security and safety is in you. That Satan, like a thief, is trying to steal and to kill and destroy. But you have come that we might have life, life eternal, life abundant. Lord, may some today, right here, right now, cry out to you and say, Lord, I need you to be my Savior. I need you to be my shepherd. I need to put my faith and trust in you. For those that are your sheep, Lord, that are struggling, I pray that they would find comfort in your care. For some, they need the restoring hand of you as shepherd. For some, they need your protection and provision. May we each hear your voice as you speak to us through creation, as you speak to us through scripture. Because you, Lord, are the one and only good shepherd. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.